Hello, my name is Ken, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Waters. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effective working out the will and calling of God on our lives. The title of this message is Singular Facet Syndrome. This is going to be a gem of a three-part series. Welcome to episode one of three. Now, it occurred to me that many of the issues Christians have with one another could be resolved if we understood the Singular Facet Syndrome. This syndrome is due to looking at something with a single eye. I know the single eyer will say that this is what we are supposed to do. Look at Jesus and Jesus alone. Yep, and I will leave that there right now. So what I'm talking about is when someone who has a perspective about something is debating another who has a different perspective about the same thing. And because the perspectives are built upon a different knowledge base about the subject or issue, and because there is a high probability that each of those involved have different experiences regarding the subject or issue, and because, no doubt, each person involved is at a different place spiritually, and it is unlikely that each is at the same maturity level. What would otherwise be a non-issue is now an issue, and in many cases an unsolvable issue that ultimately leads to some manner of war, be it shouting and yelling, to a full-blown war. Of course it's not an either-or situation, as there are many things in between that we humans can concoct that ultimately leads to some manner of violence. I know some would say that they just came out of a discussion hating the person, but that they wouldn't wish them dead. But now if we go to 1 John 3.15, we see the spiritual definition of hatred. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So perhaps what I've stated thus far sounds like a bunch of hubbub. Well, if you look at history, our history and the many issues that wars are fought over, you will find opposing views at war with one another. Yes, greed, power, resources, the need to be the best, the biggest, the brightest country, etc., are on the face of the issues we fight over. Is there anything outside of these things? Yes, saith those who seek justice through war, which, in a strange way, is an oxymoron, but also unavoidable given the state of humanity. So yes, war is necessary when righteous judgment is at the core. Taking a defensive posture against an invading horde, for example, or the war on drugs or sex slavery. But now my topic is not on the many facets of war or cause of it. Nope, because everything starts with a thought in an individual. It is at this place that we see Christians need to deal with the potential repercussions if we allow the thought to become a manifested reality, that is, to become present. One facet of a thought, one perspective about an issue, one represented knowledge base, a singular position, does not make a solution to an issue or problem. Your vision regarding an issue can never go beyond a single facet. And like a diamond, you knew it was coming, yes, like a diamond, if we walk in a spirit whereby we allow all of the singular facets to come together in unity and single-mindedness, then the brilliance of what it means to be in one accord shines brightly and without blemish. So let's look at the definition of accord. In so doing, we are looking for the variables as much as the non-negotiables. Dictionary.com defines it this way. To be in agreement or harmony. To make agree or correspond. To grant, bestow, adapt, proper relationship proportion, a harmonious union of sounds, color, etc. Consent or occurrence of opinion or wills. Now, I wanted to define that word because it is in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts. 
Okay, so it's weird to me that a definition of this word exists, and yet we live in such a violent culture. I know some of you right now are thinking that you are a good person or that so-and-so lived their life as an advocate for peace. Now, couldn't we say that of most hippies? <laughs> and yet when you look at the protests, what do you see? I mean, we fight for peace, right? Isn't that an oxymoron? And no, you are not a good person either. Even saved, we struggle, which is why I thought I would throw out the thoughts of my mind on paper this morning. Let me clean up that paragraph so we stay on track. Romans 3, 10-18 states, As it is written, there is none righteous, nope, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, nope, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So all of that is based on verse 18, which is there is no fear of God before their eyes. I have a whole message on the condition of man's heart. So keeping it light, it is good if you see this for what it states. And if you want further review, you can look for my message titled, What's Up With My Heart? But for now, we tread on. So as we can see, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or even Princess Diane, all needed Jesus because their hearts weren't right. Not all of them allowed Jesus into their hearts, but that's a matter not for us to decide. And lastly for that paragraph, some will say that Romans 3, 10 through 18 was written to unbelievers or to those not yet saved. But once you get saved, your heart is no longer an issue. Why, we even get a new heart, the Bible says. Yep, but we did not get a new flesh tent. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4 For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that morality may be swallowed up by life. You see, we remain in the old man making every attempt to live by putting on the new man. Ephesians 4.24 And that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. An honest Christian can attest to this one fact, which is that it is a darn struggle to toe the line, to make the fullest of desired transitions. We have some examples from the Bible, such as David after he is made king, walking in his destiny and the promises of God, committed the most vile act using his power to seduce a married woman. Is this not the same thing that happened in the garden when Satan seduced Eve? Granted, they each had their own reasons, but nonetheless it happened. And if it happened to a man with a heart like God's own heart, then maybe, just maybe, it can happen to us, with us, or through us. Then maybe, just maybe, it can happen to us, with us, or through us. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. In Acts thirteen twenty two, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, 
to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So quickly we look at Paul's statement before he was saved, authentically, born again that is. In Romans seven twenty four, we see it say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now consider this, Paul was a religious man. But once he met Jesus, he realized that ah, religion wasn't going to save him. Jesus didn't just die for our sins, but to also restore our relationship with God. This is what the Bible's all about, being in relationship with God. So then we see the transition of the statement, which ends in Romans chapter 7 and begins in Romans 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, that's it for today. I hope you're getting jeweled up for the rest of the series. One down, two to go. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from it. Together we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script to kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of lights to shine through into people's lives. Plan a seed, click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in deep waters.